You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The time will come when the church will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So it's better to see James's prohibition here against too many in the church wanting to become doctrinal teachers and leaders in a congregation. This prohibition is meant to put a check on an impulse that many men have that they want to take a little bit of what they've learned and be teachers and instruct other people and rise in prominence prematurely. Have you ever felt the desire or calling to teach God's Word to others? Are you familiar with the strict warning that James includes in his letter regarding teaching? If you're not, it might be a good idea to brush up on chapter 3 of James. As Pastor Tom discusses in his message today, teaching, especially when it comes to Christianity and sound doctrine, should not be taken lightly. In his study, you'll learn about the high standard that God holds towards those who teach His Word to others. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Peril of Untested Bible Teachers. Look again at the first part of verse 1. Let not many of you, he's addressing them, become teachers, my brethren. It's only a few words, but it's a well-needed caution. If the tongue has power for good and for evil, then the tongue of the teacher has even more power for good or for evil to steer and persuade the entire church correctly or incorrectly. Teaching. Teaching is what has been left in the church. The gift of teaching, the use of the teaching office. Prophecy came to the church at the beginning. The prophetic office was used and it was active. The apostles were in the church and in that apostolic age, prophecy came and we received that once for all delivered to the saints' faith. We have that now in the New Testament. The gift of prophecy is active today only in this sense that the prophecy was given in the page of of the Word of God and now teachers take that prophecy and explain that prophecy, that prophetic word to people today. There's not new prophecy coming. So the burden on guiding the church today is not on the prophet but on the teacher. Teaching is distinguished from the prophetic gift in Scripture. Prophecy came infallibly and accurately relayed divine truth at the outset. God got a hold of the mouth of the prophet and the very words and all of the words, plenary verbal inspiration of their writings and of their speech brought infallible Scripture to the church. The teacher now takes that divine revelation and begins to explain it to the congregation, to their mind, so they can understand it, so it can churn over and over in their mind and grab hold of their conscience and work on their heart and and then spill out into the way they live. And that's quite a burden on teachers. Prophecy was delivered one time. Teaching is ongoing throughout church history. Prophecy came with an inerrant force. Unfortunately, teachers today can make many, many errors. Obviously, the influence of teachers is great, and I mean that throughout all of society. Just think how many young people going to college, their entire life is set in one direction or another, for good or for ill, based upon what some professor tells them. And those college students who think they know so much leave college not so well educated. 
How many seminars from life coaches have steered people one way or another? How many politicians right now are hammering out their own ungodly philosophy and tens of thousands cheer that message and send in money for more of that message to be given? Immature minds, they're especially impacted and misguided by teachers all the time in every corner of society. Beloved, this is even more true in the church. Boy, does Satan like to get inside of the church. Boy, does he like to weaken the resolve of the people of God to pay attention to the words of God. He does it in church by putting a teacher there who will deny the word of God. And so you have liberal churches that say the kind that I grew up in, oh yeah, there's the book, but it's not all true. That is exactly what Satan says. Or you go to a church where, well, it's all true, but you can't possibly understand it. You need this whole teaching tradition to interpret it for you, so don't really read it for yourself. We'll tell you what it means. Satan likes to do that also. Or if that doesn't work, well, he's got a whole bag of tricks up his sleeve. He can just do this. It's all true, every one of it, but we also have another book we've added to that. And it'll let you know what that book is all about too. So now you've got two books or three or four which are not inspired by God, but are declared to be inspired by God. Well, if you can get their attention on that, you've nullified the Word of God too. Or, if that doesn't work, he'll say to a congregation, well, it's all true, it's just not all that relevant for today's age. We must have the teachings of psychology, we must have the insights of uh, the professors, the, the business plans and strategies of the day. And so we read it and think, well, it's true, it just doesn't help me out that much. Whatever he can do to get your mind off of the Word of God, maybe it's just this, that you believe it's all true and it's all relevant, you just don't have time for it. As Brandon said, you're busy, too busy. Now, there are some commentators here that don't think that James has in mind the official church teachers in this prohibition. But if it refers to just everybody teaching sort of spontaneously and informally as we all do, sharing the Word of God with one another, then James would be restricting too much here. After all, all of us are supposed to be teachers to some degree, somewhere, and there are many scriptures which, if you just read this and didn't think about it carefully, you might think, wow, here's where the Bible contradicts itself, because there are many verses that encourage the speaking of God's Word and encourage a lot of the teaching of God's Word. You know, I think of Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, it says to do what we just finished doing that was beautiful, that is, sing the Word of God to one another. We're through the hymns and the songs and spiritual songs, we're admonishing one another with what? God's Word. That's teaching. It says in Romans 15 that you're capable of admonishing one another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're to be encouraging one another with what? With the words of God, obviously. Comforting one another with God's words. 1 Thessalonians 4. Fathers instructing their children. Ephesians 5. Older women instructing the younger women. Titus 2. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 encourages everyone to be imparting some teaching somewhere and making disciples, being involved in that process. Added to this, the evidence that the term that James chooses to use here, didaskalos, which is related to didache, teaching, normally indicates an officially recognized teacher some examples, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, there were there at Antioch in the church prophets and teachers. Notice they're both official teachers, speakers in the church. Ephesians 4.11 says that Christ gave some to the church as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And then it goes on, and some as pastors and teachers. That's official. 
1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Very high up in the, in the hierarchy of using the word of God. Again, official. 2 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, I was appointed by God a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Again, a formal position. 2 Timothy 4.3, the warning about the time will come when the church will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. So it's better to see James's prohibition here against too many in the church wanting to become doctrinal teachers and leaders in the congregation. This prohibition is meant to put a check on an impulse that many men have that they want to take a little bit of what they've learned and be teachers and instruct other people and rise in prominence prematurely. The temptation is there because teachers, and remember this is a Jewish Christian setting, so we can say rabbis among the Jews were very highly respected men. They still are today. That respect was shown to Jesus when they didn't acknowledge him as the son of God and they were trying to figure out his identity. He was almost always called rabbi, called teacher. Remember what Nicodemus who came to him at night said in John 3, he said, rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That was a, that was a polite and a respectful title to give to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he didn't really know who he was talking to. In John eleven twenty eight, 28, Martha, uh, she, she went away and called Mary, her sister, and said secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. That was what they called him, the teacher. The early Jewish church got their understanding of the teacher and the task of the teacher from the position of the rabbi. They honored the rabbi, and so in the church, they honored the teacher. In the Jewish synagogues and their meetings, the teachers had prominence. Many were allowed to participate. They would, they would give their understanding. There would be a discussion. There would be question and answer. The synagogue was a great place for learning. Much of it would be like an active Sunday school class that we would have today. They would add other comments. But it was the rabbis who presided. It was the rabbis who guided it all. It was all the heads that would turn to the rabbi when there was the most difficult question and see, well, what does he have to say about it? With the open discussion, it invited sometimes too much talking. If you know something about Jews, you know they can talk. And a host of men who thought that they knew more than they did, and they talk on and on, and of course there would be debate, and sometimes it would get heated, and there'd be more heat than light. And maybe in that setting, they would begin to promote themselves. Do you see how much I know? Did you see what I said? No, it's not that way. It's this way. I know, I know the other verse, the prophet says this, and on and on they would go acting like teachers from their seats. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, his sermon uh, commentary, writes this. He describes them as unqualified would-be teachers, ecclesiastical climbers who promoted themselves with loud, uninformed discussions which often led to disruption and dispute. The problem in a word was ambition, which has been and continues to be the bane of the church. Often, instead of being Christ-driven, People, believers are need-driven in public ministry. The need for public attention, to be thought intelligent, to show oneself wiser than others, to have influence and authority can fuel the most ostensibly pious sermons. 
And then Dr. Hughes goes on. James was well aware that evil ambitions were driving some to become teachers, and he also knew that if such people got into teaching positions, they would suffer further corruption because teaching offices are fraught with moral dangers of their own. He writes, it's a heady thing to dress in your Sunday best and stand in front of a congregation and be the authority for one hour. See, his sermons go one hour, too. I just wanted to point out there. <laughs> the voice of God to his people, but it can ruin your soul of the preacher. Jesus addressed this corruption of the soul of the teachers, the rabbis of, of his day in Matthew 23. The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, a teaching chair, by the way. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. So this corruption too can happen in the church. The early church was heavily led by apostles and teachers. Because of that, Paul said, there's criteria. If you want to be a teaching pastor, read 1 Timothy 3. There are qualifications. And in Titus 1, 6, he wrote, an elder must be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Teaching was so valued. It was viewed that to a teacher, a treasure was being put into the hands of a teacher, and a teacher was told, you have to guard this as a treasure. That's First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, where Paul told Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. We are not innovative. We are not adding to Scripture. We're not giving our new ideas for a new age. We've been given a 2,000-year-old treasure, and we are to guard it for the next generation. Very early in church history, here just 15 years after Christ's resurrection, James's letter, many were trying to push their way into the teaching ministry. This is really early on. Again, maybe they were speaking up too much during the assemblies, talking over others. Maybe they were advancing their ideas or their particular brand of teaching in little gatherings after the church assembly, back in the homes somewhere. These men wanted status. They thought of themselves as knowledgeable. They may not have admitted it, but they wanted the respect. But they were unwilling to work through the arduous and tedious process of having to study and having to be recognized by everybody in the congregation. James, rather than seeing more men pressing up front to become teachers as a positive development, warned the entire church against it. Too many unregulated, untrained, unprepared, impatient men. That is not good. This will lead to confusion, error, immaturity, division, and a host of other ills. And so James is using this letter. Remember, it's a circulatory letter. It was going to be given not in one congregation, but many, and it would be read there. And, and he's using that to publish a prohibition. Don't let many of you who are out there in these churches, don't become teachers. 
It's a strong negative prohibition. It's got the particle me up front, along with the, the verb uh, in a present imperative, uh, ginomai, which means to become. It, it indicates that many were already becoming teachers, and he's trying to stop it. It's already happening. Too many were already teaching who only knew this but didn't know that. They could wax eloquent about this but couldn't balance it with this over here. Others were talking but their lives were not yet ripened in godly humility. They looked like it was all about them. They sounded that way. It really lets us know that James says that being an intelligent man wasn't good enough. It wasn't adequate criteria to be a teacher in God's church. It's not about the IQ. It's not about how many degrees somebody has. Showing up at every meeting early, being there for a long time, that doesn't qualify someone to be a teacher either. Having a great speaking voice won't cut it. Being a skilled orator won't do it either. Something else was needed, something more vital for the church. Now, please understand, this was not meant to deny that the church needs teachers. Don't think that the church doesn't need teachers or that James didn't think that the church needed teachers. He himself was a teacher, and he's teaching in this very book, isn't he? The church always needs teachers. God gifts men with the gift of teaching, and he inspires them. And some, he calls them to full-time gospel ministry, and they need to fulfill that calling. We need qualified teachers in the church. We probably need qualified, doctrinal, solid teachers in the church more than we need anything else in the church this day. We need them to use their gift. We need them to spread their gift. We need them to be using their gift to get the Word of God out to the souls of men and women. Probably the greatest need in the broader church today is correct preaching and teaching. When you listen to everything that goes on out there and you're like, I can't believe what's being said out there. It's just like something I don't even want to listen to sometimes. The greatest need that is out there is solid preaching and teaching, doctrinal instruction, line upon line, careful thinking. The kind maybe some would call boring, but they need it. They desperately need it. The church can never get healthy if it doesn't hear good preaching and teaching regularly. So James is not diminishing the importance of teaching. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's showing that this office is so important and teaching is so influential, we have to make sure the right men get in. It's saying don't, don't approach the teaching some people teach, for example, in, in the world, and they think because they teach in the world and they're, they're skilled at organizing their thoughts and they are good communicators that when they come to church, it's just sort of incumbent upon them to pick up the book and begin teaching with it. No. Don't become a teacher in a cavalier fashion. Many are not to rush into it. They must check their motives, check their giftedness, check their preparation, check their work habits. Are they lazy? They must understand the seriousness of the calling because the church of God has been called the pillar and the support of the truth. Well, who's going to be holding up that pillar but the teachers? Men contemplating teaching must be more concerned with their own personal fitness to stand before others and instruct than they are with the benefits of what people will say about someone who stands up front. There must be a commitment to be willing to be trained first and then evaluated and then only after that, instruct. 
Some will be ready to teach others. Many should not ever do it. Not in a formal way anyway. It is a mistake to believe that every man in the church should become a leader and a teacher and an elder. Concerning ordination and full-time gospel work, the advice that we were given in seminary many times, and I was glad the seminary did this because it showed they were willing to empty out students and they were not all about money, but they gave the advice several times. It was usually in the chapel. And they would say something like, if there's another profession that you think you're good at besides the gospel ministry and your heart would be content doing it, go do it now and don't, don't become a preacher. We don't want those people in the full-time gospel ministry. Some are called, some are gifted, many, many are not. Unfortunately, this prohibition by James is still needed today. Many can't and don't handle the Word of God well. They want to teach, but they don't know how to handle the, the words of God in an accurate and a respectful manner. It is sad to see what weak teaching dominates pulpits today, what weak teaching, I'm not saying false, weak teaching controls the airwaves, what weak teaching fills the bookstores, and I guess now we have to say the blogospheres. Did I say that right? In some cases, they're not deep in Scripture, but they know very well how to arouse the public. They are not in it for promoting the doctrines of God they're going to take a little bit of the doctrines of God to sound just enough biblical, and now they're going to promote their own name and their own fame. Others clearly don't take time for preparation. You listen to their instruction, and it sounds very incomplete, shallow, and you think behind that maybe some lazy study sessions. Often, after they're done teaching, there are too many hands that go up because what they said was too fuzzy. You can't figure out what they meant. Then there are others who know a lot. They are scholars in their field. They're brilliant men, but their lives are not consistent with what they teach. Others mean well. Their hearts might be in the right place, but they don't have the natural ability to communicate well God's Word. They don't organize their thoughts well. They're hard to listen to. People can't follow their teaching. This prohibition, broad and general as it is, puts a lid on all of that. In fact, I think this prohibition dovetails and fits very well 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 where Paul in his last appeal, his last of the 13 epistles, is appealing to faithful Timothy and he reminds him, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust, these truths entrust to who? To faithful men, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. They have to have skill, they have to have character, they have to have both. Find them, Timothy. This treasure is too important to give to anybody else. Pass on that deposit of doctrinal revelation only to faithful men, only to qualified men, only to what you'll figure out as you read the rest of the chapter, hardworking men, only to well-taught men. And it is men, by the way. That's a whole other sermon. Only to men who will work hard enough to guard and advance that truth, who believe it's worth laboring over, analyzing, studying, sweating over it, who are themselves submitted to that truth, 
and who are willing to go to jail for that truth as he was in prison there when he wrote it and said, but the word of God is not in prison. Yes, as you're sitting there, there is a sense in which this application can be made for everyone in the church. Everyone should be careful not to teach anyone anything at any time if you're not sure it's true. The Bible warns us that as we draw closer to the return of Christ, there will be a rise in compromise within the church when it comes to sound doctrine. So how will we defend against this? In today's message, Pastor Tom reflected on the stern warning that James included in his letter regarding teaching. In his study, you learn that those who desire to teach God's Word to others should by no means take the responsibility lightly. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Passion, zeal, drive, fired up. These are all words we hear often within the church regarding our walk with the Lord. While it's definitely easy to say such things or nod our heads when we hear them, putting them into action is what matters most. In Pastor Tom's next message, you'll learn just how important it is to have a drive and passion for God's Word when it comes to sharing your faith with others. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.